it is with great pleasure uh, I get to introduce my friend Neil once again. Uh, many of you have met Neil in the past. He's spoken here uh, before, but Neil and I have known each other for probably about 10 years now. He was one of the... It's uh, weird, because I'm still 26. He's <laughs> one of the first pastors that I met here, and um, I've just really come to appreciate Neil and his commitment to Jesus his love for theology, which is something I love to talk about, and so I, Neil's one of those guys that I really enjoy doing that with. Um, but Neil, we're excited. Thank you for being here this morning. Oh, and, my uh, pleasure. My and pleasure. Uh, bringing us the, the Word of God, so please. Well, thank you. Uh, well, thank you for having me again. It's been a while. I think it may have been since like November, December last year, but... I don't know. Every uh, a day seems the same. Uh, currently, I'm employed as the uh, postman in the town of Silverton. So all of my days is uh, putting mail in slots and then delivering that mail to slots. And when I say mail, I mean Amazon packages. <laughs> and uh, when I say Amazon packages, I mean it's not going to fill that void, people. It's not. It's not. So... Um, the preaching will commence in a moment, but uh, that's what I've been doing. And uh, so during this, uh, uh, since uh, June of this year, uh, so I've kind of developed a bit of a different way of studying things, which is I listen more than I read right now, the same uh, text over and over again for a couple weeks. And I'm trying to see if it, and it's, it actually it makes some interesting results of really dwelling on a story and starting to kind of internalize it. One, uh, one of my epiphany moments was to realize that before the modern times, most people who've ever lived didn't know how to read. So the way they would know the Bible stories was by rote memory and repetition. Um, how many of you have found that repetition is usually helpful in remembering? Okay, notice that was a lot of hands. <laughs> How many of you, if you're going to be honest, I'm glad you're a responsive crowd, that's good. How many of you are honest have realized that over the past, say, decade, your memory has gotten worse? Okay. I am very much putting myself in this category. And I think, can you name what you think is probably causing that? Age. Could be age. I think young people, I think it's technology actually that's causing it. Oh, this remembers it for me. Now I don't have to remember. I'm not so sure if that's actually a true conclusion, but it is an accurate conclusion, I think, for the state of things. So anyhow, um, a friend of mine asked me if I would be willing to share with him uh, at his church, uh, a small church out in Talbot, Oregon, about 30 people on a good day. Uh, but he had some family stuff he needed to tend to. And I said, well, I'll share if the Lord gives me a, something to say. And he gave me a lot to say. Uh, so when Matt asked, I was like, oh, I still have more to say on this topic. <laughs> so uh, the tooth, and it, actually, it's kind of like Sesame Street. Is anybody too old or too young for to know what Sesame Street was? All right, so part of, uh, I don't really know if I watched Sesame Street that much, but I do remember the opening. It's always brought to you by something. Usually it's a letter or a number. And so this, this whole kind of series that I'm uh, working on myself all came from uh, a passage in the book of Acts. There's just a small portion of the book of Acts where, uh, chapter 20, where the apostle Paul is leaving Ephesus and he's giving his final words. And one of the last things he said is kind of cool because it's a quote of Jesus that's only there. 
which is, he says, remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, I think we've all heard that before, right? You've probably all said it yourself. And I think we all probably know it's true. Did anyone deny? Well, it's not, by the way, it's quick, quick, quick point. It's never a good idea to tell Jesus he doesn't know what he's talking about. So we should stop doing that if we're inclined to. But why do you think Paul says, remember the words of Jesus? When you find that kind of a line in Scripture, remember this, what is the actual implication there? You and I are prone to forget it. We are prone to forget the words of Jesus, especially the words it's more blessed to give than to receive. Or why would Paul have mentioned that? before going to uh, everything that God had next for him in his ministry. So I started kind of walking through some key points in Scripture through the lens of giving and generosity. And God, from the very beginning, is incredibly, incredibly generous. You can hit that next slide real quick. If you're interested in following it, I kind of noted up there some of the key passages that talk about this topic. There is certainly more but these are key. So yeah, this is kind of like part three of a message that I'm started in the middle, just like George Lucas in Star Wars. So that would have been relevant 40 years ago. Anyhow, um, it's still relevant today. Anyhow, so we're going to look at Genesis 18 today. This is another chapter that I've really wanted to dive into, and I, I uh, we'll just scratch the surface, and we'll be looking at it through that lens of, of the example Abraham gives us of generosity and the example of God's generosity in forgiveness is that's the second chunk of that, that chapter. But just to let you all know, to be honest, Genesis 18, it's actually a strange chapter in the Bible. It's actually pretty weird because God shows up in a body. Two angels are with him in bodies too. And that's kind of strange, right? If you don't think that's strange, let's be honest. We do think that's a little strange. We shouldn't if we read our Bibles, by the way. We shouldn't be all that surprised that stuff happens outside of our normal, if you will, tight theological boxes. Because they happen frequently. I mean, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament says, remember to show hospitality. We'll get to this later again. Some entertain angels unaware. So you'll see where we're getting there in a moment. But um, I think what I'll do is, because uh, Matt never gives me enough time, uh, but, uh, but I think I'll just read uh, the first part of um, Genesis 18 now, verses 1 through 15. Then we'll walk back and talk about a couple things. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre. while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from his entrance of the tent, his tent to meet them, and he bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then, you may, then we may wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed. And when you go on your way, now that you have come to your servant." Very well, they answered, do as you say. 
So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to his servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought them curds and milk and the calf they had prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, Yes, you did laugh. We'll get to more of the chapter in a moment, but just a couple things. The first one is just always fun to realize ancient weights and measurements tell us more than we realize. Matt, I'm going to need my prop real quick here. So does anybody have a clue what one sia is of flour? So a sia is 12 pounds. Three sias are about 36 pounds, so seven standard five-pound bags of flour. So when he just tells Sarah, hey, go make 35 pounds of bread, <laughs> I'm kind of curious what she said back, because uh, <laughs> it was like, uh, now, that's a lot of bread. <laughs> that's a lot of flour. And that would have been for, just so we kind of get ourselves a little bit into the ancient mindset, that would have been for the journey. So that they would have not just enough, but way more than they could possibly, probably use for the rest of our journey. But everything about this is the display of hospitality. Note from the get-go, though, what is Abraham's... By the way, part of the way I'm wanting us to note this is because this is actually kind of behavior and attitudes you and I are supposed to follow. Are supposed to follow. They're supposed to have. Does our world... Show, does our country, I should say, does our region show hospitality like Abraham has showed these three strangers? The answer is no. Uh, we know it. Now, we live in a very different culture. That's true. We've, we live in a very different environment in time. That's true. But what should be true for us as Christians? What God says and his standard and how he has set it up? Or what our world dictates? By the way, these are pretty rhetorical questions. Uh, the answer is what God says. What God says. So part of why I think uh, the practice of meditating on this story is it helps us realize, oh, how can I inject into my current situation some of what God's universal truth has been about generosity? Because we can... Uh, thank you. <laughs> Love that slide. Because if we're honest, that's our mission too. We as Christians that bear the name of Christ should start to increasingly bear the character of Christ. Uh, so God is generous. We, his redeemed people, ought to be generous too. Here's the kicker. 
you and I have that choice. Are we going to be generous or are we going to forget the words of Jesus? It's more blessed to give than receive. And I think the true answer, if I'm being honest, is we all forget it sometimes. We all forget that it's more blessed to give than receive and get into a mode for all sorts of reasons, and some are very justifiable, that when we're in need, we need to take. But God wants to move us through that, through life, so that we can become givers like him. Note this, the posture of Abraham. Where was he when the strangers showed up? Sitting in the shade, what? Clearly, he was looking at the road. Because he saw them and ran to them and invited them in. I think this is kind of key. He was looking how he, for how he could be generous, generous. He was looking for that opportunity. He was looking how he could help. Uh, my understanding is that Bedouins to this very day in Arabia are in the same kind of posture. In fact, I guess uh, it might be true in some cultures today, but definitely in the ancient world, it was kind of considered wrong or un, unpious, if you will, to eat alone. So if once the meal was ready, the man of the tent or the house would go out and kind of yell, hey, anybody come in and eat with me? Because there's enough. That sounds, you'd probably get the police called on you if you did that here, right? Or is Dayton really different than Staten? Uh, no, I think so. So just note, there's, there's some differences, but, there's a, but this posture of Abraham looking, looking for how he could help is key. It kind of mirrors that story Jesus told of the prodigal's return. God, because he mentions it, God is looking for us to return, and he sees us far off. We as people ought to do the same. So, he, uh, and then how, how does he like treat these men? He treats them well. He treats them well. He provides for their needs. And I don't know how long it took all that bread to be made, but my sense is it didn't happen super fast. So this isn't like a thing of uh, it five minutes and they're gone. It was probably the whole afternoon, <laughs> maybe longer. But he invites them in. They turn. We see his repeated entreatments. Uh, he took on the role of a servant in this, in this moment, which I guess is, would have been pretty standard for that culture. Uh, though, though uh, that's just kind of interesting. It also shows the high exalted position of guests. Guests were uh, considered uh, a blessing, and you, you were supposed to treat them really well. Uh, and we see, of course, Abraham doing that. Uh, and one other thought before we get back to the bread um, is just this, is they, he provided... Um, he didn't just do it alone. He included his whole household in this blessing. Note, he, he went and got some servants to help with this and with that. He had Sarah help with this and that. Uh, it wasn't just for his own benefit, but for his whole household, his whole family's benefit. And uh, just the, the kind words he says. Another intriguing thought here is because we know if we keep reading this story, it identifies who these people are. And it's kind of weird that it doesn't say from the get-go. I actually think, by the way, it, we know because verse 1, the Lord appeared. But, you know, the Lord appeared in, in chapter 17, too, and he was just a voice talking to Abraham. For some reason, he wants to do something different here. So he shows up. And this is what's really crazy, 
And one part that makes this such a unique story, Abraham, because of what happened, got to give God a blessing. Abraham, because he was looking for how he could bless strangers, got to give God a blessing and care for God's need. I don't think till you get to Jesus, you ever see that in the Old Testament. I don't believe that happens anymore. It maybe it does, but I think it doesn't. That's pretty crazy. That's in a good way. That's pretty unique, isn't it? That, so I think this is partially trying to remind us of if this is why we want to take on these attitudes is maybe God is still sending messages and messengers into our lives. How we treat them is kind of important. And we actually know that's true because Jesus uh, tells us that, tells the Apostle Paul that directly, if you recall, uh, from the story of his conversion, how when Jesus appears to Paul, he tells him, why are you doing this? Why are you persecuting me? Well, he wasn't persecuting Jesus. Jesus was in heaven. Who was he actually persecuting? Jesus' people. Jesus takes that personally. He puts himself insert in that pain, in that suffering, in that difficulty, just like he still does. So just to note how we treat the stranger today, maybe how we treat Jesus too, maybe how we treat God. So we have that opportunity, if we're willing, to give from what God has given us, to give from what God has given us. As we were reminded in prayer, let's, let's try to make sure that if we lose one nickel, let's provide it into a couple cents, give two cents to God and three for the candy. Though I don't think you can buy candy for three cents anymore. I could be wrong. The other part of this story that's interesting, uh, it, there's a lot that's interesting here, but I think of great, great note is uh, this, it, when it comes to Sarah and her response, when it comes to Sarah and her response, because she clearly laughs at what is said. Then she tries to say she didn't laugh, which is, I actually I'm assuming this is supposed to be comical because she's telling God, the creator and sustainer of the universe who knows everything, that he's lying and that she didn't laugh. I mean, he probably literally heard her laugh, but she still tries to deny it. And it's funny until we realize, oh, right, I laugh sometimes when God tells me he wants to bless us too. Don't you? Actually, that's a key line where it talks about, um, is anything too difficult for God? Is anything too difficult for God? Now, what's the answer to that question? No. What, this is a self-reflective question for you and for me, for all of us, what is it that maybe we're not currently willing to give to God and let him deal with? What is it that we're not trusting him to deal with today? Because I'm pretty sure there's something in your life, something in my life, maybe a lot, that we think God doesn't want to deal with that. He can't. And the, the weird part of this is it's probably not something big. It's probably something smaller, like a financial need or a, or a relational need. And because that's true, I think sometimes we think God doesn't care 
because it's not important to him. But if you're important to him, and you are, then he does care, and we can give it to him. But we need to do it. We need to give it to him. We need to not laugh that he will do something. I will make one other note on this, is that though it's probably a bad thing that Sarah laughed initially, note she still shows that as the name for her son Isaac, because his name means laughter. And in a sense, he's commemorated. God used, if you will, a very teachable lesson to transform something kind of negative into something incredibly positive. And that is an awesome thing that God does. Is he uses our sometimes stubbornness and not getting the point to make the point even better and bigger and more impressive for all time. Also, just a quick note, don't tell God you didn't lie when you have. It doesn't go well. It doesn't go well. And it's not even surprising that, that Sarah does this, because what did Adam and Eve do? Did you eat from the tree? Well, it, it was her fault. Oh, it was the serpent's fault. I mean, they hide from God. Isn't that, that's funny, right? They're hiding from God. It, does, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yet, we still try sometimes. Or like, what does that quote say? That's why I do all my sinning at night, because God can't see in the dark. That's not true, by the way. It's not true. The other thought um, I had when I was, have been dwelling on this passage is just the craziness of God and two angels showing up into the story. And so I wanted to read a little bit more because there's some interesting stuff here. And then I do want to spend a little time talking about the other aspect of Abraham's example I think we should really consider and I even heard uh, this morning of the plea to become more and more a praying church. And I think uh, there's a, one aspect of prayer we all can probably take even more ownership of. I know that's been some of the application I've been feeling. Uh, so let me go ahead and read a little more. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. So that's verse 16 through 19. I just want to talk about a couple things here, but I would just say this. That didn't happen that way. Abraham's descendants failed very badly to follow his way. The only one that followed his way perfectly was who? Jesus. But that's who God was knowing what was happening here. But just note, Abraham's descendants didn't do a good job of following the way of Abraham. They didn't. They did a rather poor job of it. Doesn't mean there's not still God calling us out and saving a remnant, but just note, in general, they didn't really do a great job. But all nations of the earth have been blessed because God keeps his promises, and God had something much better in mind, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But right now, it's just interesting to note that this is the posture. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? No. No. Verse 20, then the Lord said, 
The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin is so grievous, that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. Now, I believe this is just God, uh, and it's included here so we kind of get a sense of God and who he is and his kind of human interactions so that we can understand him. But it's interesting to note what the text says. Though God knows what's going on, but he's still going to go down and look. Right? That's, what I, that's how I read it. God knows what's going on. He says the outcry is great, but we're going to go double check or triple check or quadruple check. The other thing I realized uh, this time going through that is this language is very similar to another passage of scripture. And that passage is found a little earlier in the book of Genesis in the Tower of Babel scene, where it says God looked down and heard the outcry against the city. I actually think it's supposed to remind us of a similar scene. Because what happened after that outcry, God brings a divine punishment, scatters the humanity to fulfill more of his purpose. What's about to happen in chapter 19, God's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because there's no righteous to be found there uh, other than saving Lot and his uh, two daughters. So just note that because it's, it's, it's key here. And another key thing is just the contrast in chapter 18 and 19 primarily is the contrast of the hospitality shown. The hospitality shown doesn't work the same way in Lot. Despite, to be fair, Lot trying to emulate his, uh, his uncle, but he can't because of the cultural pressure that's just completely corrupt. So just note, though, that it was his inability to show hospitality that God was judging Sodom for primarily, but also because they were wicked. And we'll get more to that. But... Let me ask you this. Do you think Abraham was aware of the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he had figured that one out. I'm pretty sure everyone did. Um, so the, uh, let me keep reading. I want to talk about a couple more things here. Because just this is a repeated thing, but it's still important to read it all. Uh, it says, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great that their si and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. It says, the men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. By the way, if you're keeping tabs, this is when he knows exactly who it is he's talking to, according to the text. Before that, it doesn't, we don't know. We don't know. And then Abraham uh, approached him and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you sw really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? This is Abraham still speaking to God. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bad as to, bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole place for the lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. 
Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. Oops, turned one page too many. Ah, Bible pages. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. I had an odd thought, and it was this. Why did Abraham stop asking? Why didn't he ask for five? What do you think the answer might be? Did he overstay his asking? Or did he maybe underestimate the generosity of God in his forbearance? And we have a nice perspective this side of the cross in Jesus, but still it's of note. It's probably the case. He could have been even more bold. By the way, just to know where we're at on the other side of the cross, when we get to the book of Hebrews, remember that's the language, boldly approach the throne of God, the throne of grace, with confidence, to ask for things that are, they are audacious, by the way, but we're told to do it. We're told to do it. I started thinking that, wait a minute, isn't the actual number of righteous people to unrighteous people one to whatever that number of people is in the math of the divine? Because who is the one and only righteous person? Jesus. Everybody else, no offense to you if you're not aware of this yet, are unrighteous. What is, uh, there was none righteous, no, not one. We have all turned aside. And that is true. That is true. We have all turned aside. There's one righteous. God has laid upon him the sins of them all. You know this. I know this. But I never thought connected it in this story. And I thought, wait a minute. Abraham could have even been more bold because God is even more generous than he realizes. We, you and I, we can be even more bold because God is actually more generous than we're sometimes comfortable with sometimes comfortable with, right? Sometimes, actually, God's generosity is something that we start to take issue with. We, as people, sometimes take issue with it because it seems too much. And there's another word that comes to mind, and that's the word fair. Fair. How many of you like to be treated fairly? That's <laughs> a and it weirdly how it depends, right? How about this one? How many of you think everybody but you needs to be treated fairly? <laughs> yeah, that's only right and fair, right? But I, and you can insert your own I there, I want to be treated with justice. No, no, that's the wrong word. I want to be treated with mercy and forgiveness. But you all should be treated fairly. <laughs> right? Isn't that... Often how we kind of unfortunately, I'm going to say unfortunately, that's how I think the world's way of thinking 
needs to get that slowly purged out of our head because my brain does this. It goes right back to the, the not right back, but it goes fur- closer back to my original definition. God has to shake me out of it again and again and again. I think that's what discipleship in a life of life following Jesus does is it gets us a little not as far off course but it's a corrective because we do it's a like the Paul's statement remember the words of the Lord Jesus it's more blessed to give than receive when we remember that we realize that our life goal and I might step on a bunch of toes to say this but I'm still going to do it our life goal should not be to acquire wealth nope that's not what Jesus says with a caveat, so long as that wealth is not treasure in heaven, because he does tell us to do that. But everything else he says is foolishness on our behalf. That's not a message that resonates well with Americans, is it? And to be honest, it's not a message that resonates super well with me either sometimes. It's like, well, wait, he's given me this to have. But remember, the purpose of having and the purpose of blessing is than to be a blessing because that's God's character and you and I were made in his character and his image thus that's how we should be too that's how we should be too so as I was considering this I do want to just note it is good to take on the role of Abraham here in our lives too Abraham prayed on behalf of a wicked city which I'm pretty sure he knew that was a wicked place I don't think he was blind to it. Um, But he still asked for God's forbearance. So let's let this remind us to pray for our wicked city too. For God's forbearance. Because we know once all that are going to be saved are saved, that's God's goal. Anyone, he wants to save all men. But we need to pray. We need to pray. And I would ask you, too, to consider putting on even more uh, that, that stance of Abraham, looking how we can bless, looking for who we can bless, looking for uh, how we can share what God has given us. I don't think you have to be as rich as Abraham to want to share. That's the completely wrong model. So when I was, uh, when, when the Spirit was kind of working on me with this message and reminding me, and hopefully me through, through me through you, to intercede on behalf of uh, our wicked city, there's one other thought that came to mind, and it was a story Jesus told. I'll just, I'll just tell it, but I did put it in the, the notes to consider. Uh, it's in Matthew 20, and it's a hard story if you really think about it. It's, a, it's one of the stories of the servants. I'll just sum it up because I want to. Um, but it, it's really good. In Matthew 20, Jesus kind of is reflecting on this whole thing, I think, as well. And he tells a story. Obviously, he has a purpose for it, but he also has numerous purposes for it. But he, he told this one. He said, what? He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went away. Or no, a landowner who had a vineyard. And he needed work done. So he hired a bunch of people at the break of day to go work. Then he came out a couple hours later, realized he needed way more work done. So he hired more people. 
And then he came back a few hours later, but he still needed more work done. He hired more people. He kept doing this until there was like an hour left in the day. And then he hired more people to get the job done. And then he paid them a fair wage. The wage they agreed to, which was a denarius, which is just the ancient word for a day's wage. So whatever that would be. But he, what do you think happened in that story? Because it's the same way we respond today. The people that worked 12 hours are like, wait a minute, why am I getting paid the same as, we agreed to it, as the person who only worked an hour? And they grumbled and they complained. Just like we were wont to do sometimes when we're treated fairly. When we're treated fairly. But note the point Jesus makes, if you will, and I'd ask us all to consider this prayerfully as we examine our own hearts. Um, it says this at the end of the story, uh, verse 13. But he answered one of them, one of the complainers, am I not being unfair to you, friend? Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who has hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? And here's the kicker. Or are you envious because I am generous? That is a big line. Are we envious sometimes that God is generous to our enemies or to those that we maybe don't get along? Yeah, the answer is yes, by the way. We do get envious sometimes when that happens. But that's not how life is supposed to be in the kingdom of heaven. I think that's why this story, one of the reasons this story is for us is a check, realizing that sometimes it's God's generosity that makes us the most upset because we've been wronged by someone else. Same kind of similar message to the, the Good Samaritan story too, where the one son goes off and blows half the family money on uh, wanton living and everything comes back and is welcomed home. And how's that story end with God begging the older son, it doesn't use these words, but to forgive the younger son and come in. He's forgiven him. And remember, he's saying this is what the kingdom of God is like. But no, he's envious. He's envious because of the, his father's generosity. Are we sometimes envious because God is generous? I think we can be. I know we can be. And I'd urge us to put on a new way of thinking, the new way of thinking, which is that, remember, your righteousness and my righteousness is Jesus Christ. Right? Your righteousness and my righteousness is the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And thus, since that is true, and it doesn't mean we shouldn't follow Jesus as best we can, but it does mean, remember, that's the source of our righteousness, not by works of righteousness which you or I have done, but because of his mercy, he has saved us and washed us and regenerated us to the point where one day, uh, I believe soon, uh, when God's kingdom comes in full, we will see him as he is. Remember, this is what God is doing. He is making us his new people, his new people. Uh, perfect and uh, perfected. But it's hard work sometimes, isn't it? When you turn hearts of stone into flesh, it kind of hurts. 
when God has to chisel away hardness, it's, it's, uh, it's painful. It's painful. Remember the words of the author of Hebrews tells us through the Spirit that God disciplines every son and daughter he loves. Not a discipline of I hate you and I'm mad at you, but a discipline of correction to more right living, which give, makes for more righteousness. So just want to encourage you, Saul, with these words, challenge us with these words of Jesus, and just to, to remind us and let us know, you know, when we're challenged by the words of Jesus, let's let that work take place. Don't, I would urge us all not to put it aside to tomorrow or next week. But let's examine our hearts and realize, wait a minute, am I being envious today because I see God's generosity to this person? I don't believe they deserve it. Or whatever your case may be. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father God, I thank you that you are generous. I thank you that in the beginning, you declared seven times that it was good. You created heaven and earth and all that fills him uh, as a place for us to have relationship and fellowship and connection with you. And even when we threw that away for our own ends, uh, participating in both that sin of Adam and Eve as their descendants, you made a new way for us in Christ Jesus, a more imperfect way. Uh, we thank you that his blood and his righteousness is applied to us. We thank you that that's through simple faith but we also thank you so much that you want to move us from uh, and work in us to, to chip, out the, chip down those edges, to remove those uh, barriers and that hardness, to give us more and more of those tender hearts of Jesus. And like we were singing earlier, eyes to see you, eyes to see what you see, and to go to who you need. Please help create even more in us the, the desire and the drive to see how we can give, to see where we can give, to see who we can give to. And Lord, we pray we never forget the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than receive. We ask this in your name, amen.